welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We are bringing on a really, really, really good friend of both Jeff and I's. And he is the current hockey director for Bishop Carney Selects, which is a hockey academy in Rochester, New York. Chris Collins. And Chris had an amazing journey in the hockey world. Grew up in Rochester, New York. Uh, played his prep school hockey at Taft before going to the USHL. Uh, and then he went on to BC, where he was a Hobie Baker Hattrick finalist in his senior year. Also got to the national championship game before embarking on an eight-year professional career. Uh, after that, he got into youth hockey, which is where uh, I met Chris. We coached together up in the Syracuse-Rochester area. Uh, have been friends ever since. Vex was a teammate of of Chris's. When they played in Providence together after Jeff signed his NHL contract with the Boston Bruins. Go ahead and say it. Ah, uh, not a big deal. <laughs> uh, but this was a really, really, really good conversation. Before we get over to Kali, let's bring on the talent of the podcast, the one Jeffrey Jehu Levechkio. Fax, what's up today, dude? Watashiwa Jehu. I am happy to be here. That means my name is Jeff um, <laughs> in Japanese. Uh, so what's up? Uh Dude, I'm buzzing. I had a great workout tonight. I'm not going to lie to you guys. Great, phenomenal train with me workout. Anybody can join for barely a dollar a day. And I ripped that and then I did this and it was awesome. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Short, sweet, and to the point. Good yeah, day. You know, you know, just good day. Had, I, I will say this though. I had, uh, I had one of my guys that I trained have to just stop playing. He was playing in the NA. Um, and then he went to, uh, the NCDC and had a couple shoulder surgeries. He's got, he's got like some neck problems he's had since he was younger and it's, dude, it's just a sad day. I mean, I don't know how many players that you've seen over the course of your coaching career have to stop playing before, you know, for, for an injury or something like that, man, it's hard to see, especially when it's one of the guys who like really puts their all into it and has given everything. It's, uh, that, that was pretty tough over the last couple of days here. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I think, um, you know, it happens obviously at different ages for different people and some people choose to stop. Some people are told they have to stop. And, um, when you're told you have to stop, that's definitely a bitter swill, bitter pill to swallow. Um, but I, I, you know what, I think that's why it's so important. And we talk about this stuff all the time and we had a great conversation with Kali about this too, just making sure that your identity is not just a hockey player. Like you have to do other things. You have to be more diverse with the skill sets you acquire by having different experiences and finding new passions outside of the game. Again, we've had researchers on this podcast who did studies with the NHL that said when you have other interests outside of just playing hockey, you're actually a better hockey player, you know, <laughs> playing in the NHL and stuff. So, um, you know, I hope, I hope for the kid's sake that he has found or will quickly find kind of what his next passion, something that he really loves to do is maybe that's coaching hockey, you know, say staying in the game or whatever. But um, yeah, it's, that's, it's tough when you're told, you know, I, I feel, feel for him. Yeah, man. That was, that was a hard phone call to take, but what it, what it sucks, but what really, really is cool 
And this is something like, obviously, we preach on the podcast all the time. It's something I preach in the gym every single day to everyone who plays hockey that comes into my gym. You know, it's like, spend it. Like, give it all because you never know when it's going to be your last day. And you want to you wanna give everything you have for the main reason, obviously, to go as far as you can. But the other ones, so you don't look back and ever have regrets. Talk about that all the time. And, you know, he could say he's that's the one awesome thing about this situation. He learned to invest in himself. He learned to give his all. And he's not going to look back and be like, oh, I wish I would have tried harder. I wish I would have listened. I wish I would have done this because he did everything. And in the end, his body, you know, just couldn't hold up to to the physical nature of the game. And he was a physical player. So to hear him say that and and also to help him reflect on, you know, he's had a couple surgeries the past couple years, two years um, on the same shoulder because the first surgeon did not do a good job, didn't put in enough anchors and he retore it like his first game back Oof. and then had to have shoulder surgery again on the same shoulder by a better doctor. Yeah. So he's kind of through the ringer, but like he's he's been able to reflect and be like look man i did everything like it's not my fault i have to stop right now like i i really learned how to like get pick myself up after you know the bad times and then have to do it like right again through no fault of his own so it was really cool to hear you know a, a 19 year old kid like be able to reflect on that but i'm sure there's other coaches out there that feel me it's it's hard when when those things happen unexpectedly for sure yeah yeah, for sure. Especially at that age, you know, yeah. that's yeah. 19, 20, like you're, yeah. you're finding your wings. <laughs> right. Right. I, I, like I said, it's, it's bittersweet. Like I'm excited for the rest of this guy's future. Ryan, I don't know. I'm sure you would not listen to the pod, but I love you, buddy. And I know you're going to kill it in everything you do in life. So I'm not worried about you, man. Yeah. It's funny. Like, you know, you sit here and, and I actually was thinking about this today for different reasons, but like, you go through so many different phases in life and every phase of that life teaches you something, you know, and, and we're both sitting here, we're only a month apart, you know, like 37 years old. And, and I'm thinking back to, um, you know, just kind of like all of the times that made you who you are today. And like at that age, I tore my ACL could have been the worst thing in the world. Ended up being one of the best things in the world. You go back and you look at all those adversities and some of the things that, that a lot of them, a lot of times are outside of your control that really, really suck in the moment. And then when you sit back five, 10, 15, even 20 years later, you're like, man, I'm really happy that that thing happened to me. <laughs> or maybe that's the wrong way, but not really happy that thing happened to me. But yeah, because that are. thing happened to me, um, I was able to do X, Y, and Z, which led me here to where I am today, you know? And um, yeah, it's especially at 1920 or even a little bit younger, even a little bit older, um, in the moment, a lot of times you don't understand it, but then you sit back and you're like, okay, there's a reason. I mean, no, you're not a, everything happens for a reason guy. I am an everything happens for a reason guy. Um, just teaches you something that you can use later on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and like I said, we reflected over that and he knows that. And he's like, and I'm like, dude, nothing's going to be harder. Nothing will ever be harder the rest of your life than you having the game ripped from you from a shoulder injury and then getting it repaired surgically and then having it ripped again from you after you do a full, you know, eight, nine months of surgery again through no fault of your own. Like everything in life after this is going to be easy. And he's like, I know. He's like, I know. I, I already know it. Like I'm going to take everything I learned from hockey and it's, and it's going to make me successful in the future. And I'm like, you're effing right, man. And so... Like you said, you know, anytime that, that you're down in a deep valley, 
just know that like it's darkest before the dawn. And like, if, if you allow yourself a moment to reflect, pause, what's actionable steps I can take to get better from this. I'm telling you in a week in a month and six months in a year, two years, 10 years, whatever it is, you're going to look back and like Tof and I don't do this podcast. I guarantee you if Tof didn't go through, you know, having to battle, being a small guy in a big man's game back when we were playing, having to come back from an ACL injury, me with my concussions and, and, you know, having all the roadblocks that I went through throughout my career. Like we're not sitting here doing this podcast, helping thousands of people every week if we didn't go through those times. And so, you know, make the bad times, uh, make them your bitch and get better from them. <laughs> I do. I do want to add something to what you said there because um, I don't want to say I'm disagreeing with you, but I kind of am. You know, you mentioned, you know, this thing for him is going to be the hardest thing that he's going to go through. It might not be. You right. Know? Right. I mean, like but right now. Right now it is. But in his th- head, there will be. There will be. I'm not going to say there might be. There, there. There's a very, very high likelihood that something is going to happen later on that is going to be worse, <laughs> right. or tougher, and that what he's going through right now is going to help him to get through that tough time for sure. Hundred percent. Hundo. I. You know what I heard the other day? Hundo P. Hundo P. Baby. Hundo P. Hundy P. <laughs> Hundy P. Hundy P. There you go. Hundy um, P. <laughs> We could take this pretty far. Yeah, I'll stop nipping in the bud right now. Yeah, let's stop. Um, okay, so before we get to Kali, um, so we always talk about Vex and I in this intro, uh, how important and how valuable and just how cool it is that like we get feedback from so many different people that listen to the podcast. And like the the best piece of feedback that we get is when you know people write us and say that a certain episode of the podcast or just the podcast in general has helped them through their journey or their kid's journey or their family's journey or their team's journey or whatever it may be. And we just got a really, really, really cool DM on Instagram on our new Hockey Think Tank Instagram account, podcast, Hockey Think Tank podcast uh, Instagram account. And it's just a really, really, really great way for people to reach out to us. And and um, so I just want to read this because this really made our day when we got this. And uh, it says, thank you for doing this podcast. Our team traveled this weekend and they all had a task to listen to the confidence episode, which we did was probably about two months ago now. And they had a team meeting in between games and discussed the podcast during the meeting. They discussed how they were going to keep everyone accountable to my son reached out. Uh, to all of his teammates to make sure they completed the tasks that they talked about doing on days they don't have on ice practice. Just listen to the discipline episode, which we did last week, and he is suggesting to his teammates to listen to that. It uh, It's always nice to have a different outlet to hear advice from others than their coaches and parents and different perspectives. So thank you. So just a really, really cool piece of uh, feedback that we got from them. And this was from a 2011 team from Cincinnati. And um, I don't know, man, just like when I saw that, it really, really made my day because, um, you know, when people go out of their way to... Um, find a way to make their kids better or more content or happier or whatever. And if we can be a a little bit of a piece of that, that's why Vex talks about, right? Like what's your why? That is our why. That is a hundred percent our why to, 
um, do a service to the hockey world and and try to put some perspective into it. And if we can, hopefully make some people better and, and um, just thank you to people who reach out with notes like that. And um, just wanted to read that one. Cause it just came this morning. I thought it was really cool. So awesome. I was, I was so jacked up to see that DM and toast being modest. I'll say it. We can help you guys get better. Literally. Like we can help hockey players, hockey teams, hockey organizations get better. The people that we bring on with, with their insight, their reflection, the things they've been through. We, we we've all, you know, a lot of the people we bring on have so much value that they can add to their listeners. So Thank you all for people who message us and, and share the show, man. Like, seriously, like, if you know anybody that this is going to help, share it. Put it on your social media, Instagram, Twitter, MySpace, whatever you're rocking, you know, throw it on your page or beep somebody with it, all right? Like, we know we can help people. We hear it all the time. So the more you guys share it, the more people we can help. There we go. There we go. And thank you. Thank you. You guys are really going to enjoy this episode with Chris. So, you know, Vex, you played with him in the AHL. Um, buddies with his brother Gary as well as I am, and and Chris and I coached together for a year up in Syracuse, Rochester, doing a, a midget program. And um, he's just a really good hockey guy, man. And he's got a really cool story himself uh, about how he ended up playing at the highest of levels and having to prove it as a smaller player. Um, and and then just his his journey after hockey, getting back into youth hockey and building a couple different things. Like first as a community based model in in Rochester, and then starting Bishop Carney, which is one of the top hockey academies now in the U.S. And and so just a really really cool conversation with a great dude. And I think people are going to get a lot out of this one, um, especially just his always prove it mentality that he has in his life. I just thought that was a really really cool just talk with a good dude about that and he, he's somebody i looked up to man like when i got there the first night first i got there on like a tuesday i think practice was on wednesday it was the first one of the week providence was a wagon that year the end of the year when the season ended they they say we but kind of i was only there for 14 games but we they set a record i think for most wins in the ahl in the regular season for that year and uh dude he was he was awesome like i was you know i'm nervous like freaking first day being a pro like on the best team in the ahl like that's <laughs> that's nerve-wracking and he was unreal took me out to dinner you know calmed me down like to- told me like you know just gave me advice on like how to how to be a pro that first day and you know i think he's he's left-handed too man and like so so i could be there potentially taking his spot you know and he he just <laughs> takes me out shows me the ropes was an absolute pro everything he did battled on the ice dude i loved watching this guy play i loved being on the ice with him i loved watching him from the bench when he was on the ice he was an absolute unit and to score 20 goals in the ahl and not have any power play time that is insane man like that is that's literally wild like to be a goal scorer in the ahl and not be on the pp is it's like literally mind-bottling it's like when your mind, when your when your <laughs> thoughts get trapped in a bottle in your mind, mind bottling. Uh, what movie? Uh, is that that's the figure skating movie, right? That's uh, Blades of Glory. There you go. Yeah. Because you put yeah. it in a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I gotta love Will Ferrell. Um, yeah, man, so cool. Like, yeah, it, and as a smaller guy myself, just hearing his like passion that he talked to about like being a smaller guy and always going after the bigger guy. Like, loved it 
And that's how he played, dude. That's how he played, man. So tough. He fought, so tough. He just played hard, man. Played and he could sniz, and he played so hard. But I, you know, I don't remember. I probably knew, but I just don't remember. I didn't know that like he wasn't like a sniper his whole college career. Like I didn't know he was a bottom line guy till his senior year, and then he's up for the Hobie. Like that's how quick things can turn around, man. It is crazy how fast they can turn around. If you just keep getting better, if you keep adding value, which you'll hear us talk about that on this episode, this is a great, a great, uh, story. And it's a great, uh, reminder to all of you that like, if you want to be somewhere, like it is possible, don't give up, keep finding a way to get better. And you're going to hear that in Kali's, uh, trajectory to signing his, his NHL deal. It's pretty badass. Hey, you know what you, what you just said reminded me of, uh, I think it was sister act or maybe sister act too. If you want to be somebody, if you want to go somewhere, you better gotta wake, wake up. up and pay attention. <laughs> if anybody's our age, you better watch Sister Act and Sister Act 2. Whoopi killed it. <laughs> Don't really like her so much now, but Whoopi killed it back then. <laughs> oh, great flicks. Um, all right. So before we get over, we have some thank yous. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you to Gelsticks, our title sponsor. Head on over to gelsticks.com to get your weighted training sticks. If you use the coupon code Think Tank One Word, you will get a discount. So go over there today. You will not regret it. Jeffrey, Train Heroic, and Cure Nutrition. Go. Ooh, I want to say thank you to Train Heroic. That is the app where all of my online training is housed. Unbelievably thankful for uh josh and the guys over there for helping me build a, a, a very large platform now where i'm training hundreds and hundreds of hockey players right now in season i've got multiple multiple junior teams i've got a couple of organizations of over 100 just this past week i just started with 68 players in ottawa um, the Titan, uh, uh, Ottawa Valley Titans. Um, I'm starting with, uh, Lafayette locomotive team, the YMCA team with Jason McPherson coaching them. And, uh, next week I'm starting with Delano high school, um, in Minnesota. So, uh, starting with another like 150 players over the course of this week here. So I can help you guys for a hilariously cheap price and get your players better. Um, without you having to pay tons and tons of money for a strength coach if you your team can't afford it so hit me up if you're looking for anything like that or check out my off-season programs when they drop again this coming summer they're new every year um so thank you to train heroic and then also cured nutrition cured nutrition is the cbd company i'm with um everybody who has listened to my story they know i've had 14 concussions it's something that i'll have to deal with the rest of my life cbd helps keep me on the straight and narrow it's not just for people who've had you know an immense ridiculous amount of concussions like myself i have literally every episode somebody's dming me asking me what's cbd how is it helpful how does it help what does it do um and uh so if you have any questions just just reach out to me um it's definitely makes me feel better i recover better from workouts and everything like that so uh curednutrition.com discount code gmbm because you know i got those discounts and then the other really cool thing i just want to say really quickly i just dropped um my line with uh the slant board guy and uh they're all gmbm 
um, on them. They're really cool. They're at a discounted price. You get free shipping. I know that Christmas is coming around the corner here. Um, if you're looking for something that's going to help your athlete, not only they can use it to warm up, they can use it to work out. They can use it to bulletproof their ankles, feet, and knees. I use these things every single day with my guys in the gym. I have 12 in the gym. I just ordered 12 new of my GMBM ones. Uh, I'm going to have that link in my bio on Instagram because it's a hidden link because it's only through me that you can get these GMBM ones. So if anybody wants them, hit me up. Or if you got questions, and thanks to the Slampboard guy for uh, collaborating with me and creating a pretty badass product. I like it. Anything else, Mr. Discount Code? I mean, honestly, I just tell all my guys in St. Louis, just wherever you go, just say, hey, does GMBM get me a discount here? And there's like a 50, 50% chance if you're running around that it might work. I, you know, who knows? I, I Chipotle follows me. I reached out to them and I was like, hey, guys, what's up? I got hundreds of players right down the road. You want to give me a discount? They never got back to me, but uh, I'm still trying. I'm still trying, bro. So I might have a chipper discount soon. You never know. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you also to icehockeysystems.com. This is the best site out there for all your coaching education needs. And like, so we have an associations uh, platform that we have partnered with them. And just talking to those guys the other day, the amount of organizations that are using icehockeysystems.com is absolutely insane now. And I, I like, it's weird to say it. Like, I feel like you're missing out if you're not doing this. It's just such an amazing resource for all of your coaches. You have thousands of drills that you can go into their library to choose from. Uh, there's a drill drawing tool where you can actually go in, draw up your drills, send them in a PDF format to all your players before practice or, or the parents. Um, and you, there's a way that you can store all the drills and folders based on drill type, drill design, all that kind of stuff. And you can have that. And if you get the associations tab, you can share it with all the coaches coaches within your organization. And it's just a really, really neat way to centralize everything, a really, really great way to organize your practice plans and stuff, along with getting new ideas that you can use. And so we use it here at Michigan um, for a lot of different things. And uh, so many different uh, organizations are using this right now. So guys, please go to icehockeysystems.com and look up the associations tab and you will be able to help out every single coach, every single player, and every single parent in your organization. We have teamed up with them, like I said, and they have access to the Hockey Think Tank Parent Survival Guide. And so you can give this to all of your parents, which will help them to enjoy and give them perspective about the youth hockey experience, which in turn will make your job as a coach or a hockey director a lot easier. And so go to icehockeysystems.com, check out the associations tab, unbelievable resource. Uh, We also want to thank everybody who continues to listen to this podcast. We so appreciate you guys um, for what you do for us, giving us the fuel every week to continue to do this. Hopefully we're providing you guys with, uh, you know, some great perspective that can help you through your journey, whether that is in hockey or outside of hockey. Uh, This is an awesome, awesome, awesome conversation with a great guy in Chris Collins. So without further ado, here we go with the hockey director at Bishop Carney. Chris Collins. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast. He's in Roch, Vegas, Rochester, New York. Chris Collins. What's going on, Kyle? How are we doing, up, man? Guys? Uh, doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. I appreciate I, it. Yeah. So, time out. Before yes. we start, I have to tell this story because this is one of the most nails story 
I've ever seen in pro hockey. I okay. don't know what. So I, I signed with the Bruins. Not a big deal. Came out of college <laughs> and I started playing with Kali in Providence. And uh, well, first of all, uh, this guy's unbelievable. I was like, you know, new guy showing up their new signing. You know, I'm sure some people are like, who's the new guy going to take my job or whatever. Maybe what, you know, stuff like that. And Kali right away. Hey, give me your number. I'll text you. I'll take you out to dinner tonight. So first of all, unbelievable guy taking me out and like just like tell me about pro hockey i had no idea no idea what to expect so that was really cool but the story that i want to tell about this guy we're playing in providence at home it was probably game like 72 for him or something i don't know and uh somehow i was on the ice with him because he was on a way higher line than i was and he he goes out right in front of our bench to stick pressure i think the d-man puck goes up his stick right into his teeth. I don't know how many teeth this guy lost, but they blew the whistle right away. He kept playing. He didn't stop playing. They blew the whistle right away. And I swear to God, it was out of a hockey movie. The refs are looking for his teeth on the ice. So we're like looking on the ice in front of the bench. I'm looking for his teeth. I think you got a couple of them. Gave him to the trainer. I don't even think he missed a shift. Plays the rest of the game. And then had like serious mouth surgery like I, I, either at the end of the season or like right like two days later i don't know but they were literally picking his teeth up off the ice and he finished the game like it was nothing and i was like well okay this is pro hockey <laughs> welcome to the pros huh Staff, and this is a 20 goal scorer in the ahl with no power play not a big deal <laughs> how did well, that thanks, yeah no that's uh that, that was a tough day um that but that's accurate that story the first period of the game Scott Gordon and Rob Murray were the coaches and Gordo Gordo was a great guy. It took me a long time to get the, get on his good side. And Murray was just, the, you know, the most stubborn, angry, you know, guy. You just never was he did not want to disappoint, you know? <laughs> um, and early in the, earlier in the game, I had like slid to block a shot and it got through me and I get back to the bench and Murray's just giving me shaking his head and, and, you know, they scored on it. Gordo's like, if you, you know, if you try to play goalie one more time, you're going to the, you're going to be wearing a suit. So, I was like, all right. So, you know, later in the game, I go flying out there to take away time and space with a stick out. One timer just, yeah, picked up speed off the stick and <laughs> got right in the teeth. And I remember Gordo was looking over the bench down at me and I looked up and I'm like, really? Like, that's what you're looking for? Unbelievable. Yeah, no, I finished the game. I, I went out for a couple minutes and then Gordo came in. He's like, are you fine? You all right? I'm like, no, all my teeth are gone. <laughs> and How many like, did you well, lose? Yeah. How many I you lost, lost? I lost six. Um, yeah, six. I lost, like I lost not three. one. Six. Yeah. No, I lost I lost uh four up top and then two in the bottom got pulled out. And um the the uh the the front two broke off. So that's what the, so the other four, they actually stuck them back in there and they they re I don't know, they they, they survived. <laughs> uh, the front two Come broke back off in there. up in the up in the top of the root. So that was the next day I had to get the surgery. To, to extract all the fragments and, and, and extract, then extract the roots out of there. So that was a tough couple of days. I remember we were supposed to go to Boston and I think we had like a week off and that afterwards and Dennis Packard and a couple of guys were like, Oh, like we're we going to Boston tonight. And I walked, I skate back out on the ice and I looked at him. I was like, we're not going to Boston guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. oh, I can imagine people listening to this in their car, their face is just like scrunched up. Like, <laughs> 
Oh, ah. and, and and that's from a 20 goal score, dude, this guy scored 20 or a few more than 20. And I remember when I, when I came into the AHL, everybody being like, if you score 20, you're a goal, you're considered a goal scorer. Like it doesn't mean you're a skill guy, but like you can score goals and like, you're, you're a valuable guy. And that was without power play. Like this guy was nasty, dude. Like this guy, I loved watching Collie play like no hey. joke. He was good. Vex, ask him where he loves to score goals from. <laughs> where where do you love? He to created score goals a scoring zone. Oh, the evolve scoring zone. Yeah, Toph, Toph loves this one. The well, let's hear scoring it. Zone. Well, yeah, I, I made a living off of scoring goals from bad angles. You know, I just as a goalie's got bigger, and I didn't have the hardest shot, right? So I I had to figure out a way to manufacture goals, and and I ended up creating a lot of offense from. You know the side, the the, the dot dot down to the goal line, um, that little kind of trapezoid over there on the side, right, where the goalies can't square up on you, and uh, you know goal line, bank it off the back of their leg, just kind of be crafty, and I mean that's that's how you score shorthanded and even strength goals. That's I had to I had to figure out ways to do it, you know. So as we started to get into coaching with Chopo, we'll get into I. I was always like, oh, there's another goal. <laughs> I'd get a text like, from you, like, yeah, I'd get a text from you, like, every probably once a week, but like, just a bad angle goal or from behind the net or something like that. Evolve. Here we go. Evolve scoring yeah. zone. There it is. <laughs> Dude, I, I love that because I was the same way, but not the same way as in you were highly skilled and I wasn't, but I shot the puck from like that, those bad angles a lot, like a lot. I really liked those shots because it's always going to be a rebound. It's super hard for a goalie to like, I could, I didn't shoot up high because <laughs> I couldn't score up high. I was shooting like, but like on those bad angles, like I'd shoot for like their knee pit from like right along the goal line, like where their, where their knee kind of back of their knee is exposed in the pad. Or if I was wrapping around, I'd always try and bank it off the back of their knee. I'm sure they didn't. Yeah, like that. You know, just think about. It. I mean, all the the goalies nowadays are so big, right? They're six two, six three, six four. So it's hard for those guys, and they're all taught angles and position. And you know, the the more as the game's getting faster, the players are getting smaller and quicker. The goalies are getting bigger. There's more goals getting scored from those areas. It's tough to beat goalies straight up. So. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll keep giving you crap on that one, Toth. Every time I see one, I'll I love anyway. it. I love it. But don't vex, don't sell, don't sell Chris over here. Very short. His shot was unreal. Oh yeah, no, dude, he was gross, dude. I, I said that like, he was nasty. What, I remember sixty-five points in college or something one year. What'd you have? Sixty-three. Yeah. Hobie, Hobie Patrick, Yeah, a lot of lucky bounces that year, boys. um well let's get into your journey because it's a it's a really unique and really cool journey um and you grew up in rochester new york not a huge hockey hotbed it's obviously getting a lot better now especially with the work that you've put in uh over the past five six years or so um but you know back in the day it was kind of buffalo syracuse everybody was kind of all together in that little area but uh you know your your family was involved in hockey your brother greg who we both know or i shouldn't say greg your brother gary (laughs) who who we uh, all know and love like you know what what got you guys involved in the game what got you guys fall in love with it back in the day i mean my grandfather was the start of it you know he he built the rink in my uh, father's backyard so my father grew up with two brothers and they had a rink in their backyard here in pittsburgh called the rollingwood form and they're all boston bruins fans so they wanted to call it the garden, but they thought all like everyone in the neighborhood would just think, "Hey, come over to play in our parents' garden." So they're like, "We'll, we'll rename it the Rollingwood Forum," which is the rival Canadian, you know. So they grew up with that rink. Um, 
you know, that's, that's where the, the hockey tradition started in our family. And, um, you know, when I was, I think I was like three or four, my, my father just got a new house. And my grandfather came over and dumped all the wood in the driveway. And it was like, here you go, Glenny, it's time for you to build a rink for the boys. So, um, you know, I grew up with a rink in the backyard and, and, and playing since I can, I can remember, you know, and that's how it started. And, you know, I was, I was lucky that my grandfather was, uh, the guy he was, he was really close to Don Cherry back in the day when, and Don Cherry was here coaching with the Rochester Americans AHL at the time. And, you know, Don was coaching, uh, he coached Pittsburgh high school for my, again, with my father. Um, and I just kind of grew up with hockey in the blood, you know, and, um, that's really how it started. And, um, I have to thank my parents and my mom driving hundreds and thousands of miles in her, in her couple of vans that, uh, that we had made the rink a couple of years ago. You looked at the back parking lot and it was like the fossil, the graveyard of Collins hockey it was all the cars that, that all had like two, 300,000 miles on it. Didn't work anymore. So, um, yeah, I just kind of grew up with it in the family and, and, you know, outdoor hockey is big up here. You know, we, Ryan Callahan, Brian Gianta, Steve Gianta, we all grew up playing together on the outdoor rinks. That's really how, how we, I think really, really got good back in the day. Oh, got good. That's a great segue. You just got good. <laughs> and we'll get back to your journey, but just because you opened up the door, I think it's really cool because you know you've you've played at at such high levels and and now you're doing such an amazing job in in the youth hockey game. And we've had so many different conversations with each other and with families and kids and stuff about that. And you started um a training facility, a hockey training facility called Evolve Hockey. Um, and your guys' motto is just get good. <laughs> and it came, it's a great story of how that actually came to be. So, you know, you played at BC under Greg Brown, who was an assistant at the time. Now he's the head coach there. Um, so if you can just like tell our listeners about how that um, motto of just get good, first of all, what it means and, and how it, it kind of came about with Brownie. Yeah. Brownie, Brownie's a great coach. And I think he, um, you know, he, it was his first year coaching at BC when I was there. Um, you know, and I, I, I built a really good relationship with him. I had, I had had a pretty good freshman sophomore year. Um, and when Brownie came in, I, things just took off for me and I really connected with him well. And, um, you know, I think, are you talking about when he was recruiting Eamon Powell? Is that what you're going with the story? Tells? No, it was, uh, he was the one that kind of coined just get good, right? Yeah. So, I mean, <clears throat> or is that part of it? Well, it started at BC. I mean, he was, he was a new coach, right? So he was yeah. just like, he's just like us, just, just get good. Like, just be, just be good out there. Like he's like, but he was learning how to coach at the time. I think he was an ex pro and you know, he had, he had played how many years over in Germany and he'd get out in the power play and, and be like trying to coach guys. And he'd just be like, all right, give me the puck. <laughs> he just, <laughs> he just, he just, he just do it. We're like, Brownie, like you're really, really, really good. <laughs> we can't just, he's like, just get good guys. Just be good hockey players. Just want to be good. And then that's when with Eamon years and years later, um, I was like, this kid just, is just, he's just good. Brown. He's just, he's just a good hockey player. Like just like you said years ago, you know? So I, I don't know if I'm butchering that, but I think that's kind of where that started. Right. So, so the way that I remember the story, because I've obviously been up to evolve quite a few times yeah. uh, with you and stuff. And I remember you telling me the story about Greg um, and kind of like, you know, in, in youth hockey, there's all these like bells and whistles, right? And that's like, you guys are Spartan. Like there's not a lot of bells and whistles to evolve. It's just come and get better. And that's, that's like the, the motto is like, just get good. 
like yep. just put the work in. Like you don't need all these fancy schmancy things. Show up, you do the work, you know, and and you just get better and that's how you end up reaching your goals, you know? And and it's kind of like almost like a forgotten thing in youth hockey today everybody thinks they need the next best thing or they need the top whatever like just crazy fancy things and it's like no like just blue collar put in the work and just get good just get better that's what you need to do as a kid you just need to get better and uh that, that's where that's where i remember the conversation with you from no and that's where i mean that's where it started was with brownie and he brownie was the first one that i when i got back into all this stuff i was i was like he's the first guy i reached, I reached out to because we had a couple of players starting to show up and like Eamon Powell and Ben Ritter and some of these O2s who were really talented kids. And they just came and they fell in love with the the training center. It was a, it's a hand built place. It's unique. My father built, started it years ago and he basically took our backyard rink and turned it into an actual training center. But with the, with the foundation of playing outside, having fun, loving the game, just going out and just getting good. And I called Brownie and he's like, I'm like, yeah, hey, I got this kid for you, Eamon Powell. I'm like, he's, he's unbelievable. He's just, he's like, Chris, relax. It's your first, it's your first player you've ever coached. Like, you don't need to, I'm not going to do a full scholarship to BC tomorrow. Like, settle down. You just get get your bearings here. And I'm like, no, like, this kid's really, he's just good, man. Just like as he talked about. And then fast forward to like six months later at the U.S. Festival. I'm at Northtown Center and, and Powell comes around the net. Brownie's there with, you know, 50 other D1 schools watching him. Powell throws like a one-handed sauce over jumps into the play two on one offside, like rips a bar down. The whole place was just like silent. And I looked at Brownie. I was like, is he good? Or he, he's like, he's like uh, yeah, Chris, uh, four, four for four, full scholarship. Did he break it? New, new high score. Is that bad? <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I don't know. I think evolved. It's, it's all, it's something with my father growing up and it's, there's this, when we got home, it was like, Hey, how did we get to where we are? How did we, how did I make it to, to, to play with Vex and Providence. How did I get there? How did that happen? Like, um, and he's like, Chris, you guys just love to play. And you just, every day you go outside and you would just find street hockey games, ball hockey game, playing in the backyard of the rink. Like you just competed and you loved it. And right now he's like, do you remember the practice when you were a kid going to Lakeshore Ice Arena? I'm like, I don't remember any of that. I remember playing outside though. And at the time when I first moved home, it was, I was going to these rinks and I was seeing all these kids and the parents are dragging them into the rink, dragging them out of the rink. The kids don't really want to be there. And we just recreated what we did as kids. And now you look at this place, it's a glorified backyard rink and the kids, like it's, it's flipped, right? The kids are on the ice and the parents are, are banging on the glass. Like get off the ice. Like we got to go home. Mom's cooking dinner or whatever. Like, but now it's, it's recreated what we did as kids and the parents, you know, are trying to drag the kids out of there. The kids don't want to leave because it's just, they're just having fun and they're just getting good at hockey. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's proven and it's, it's worked. And that's how I got, got to where I did. And we just recreated what we did as kids here in Rochester, really. That's unreal. I feel like that is the mark of a really good youth hockey coach. And you could, I mean, probably even more like as you get older, but if you have a coach that creates an environment where the kids can't wait to get there and then don't want to leave, if you accomplish that and nothing else, you have done your job because yeah. when the kids have that attitude about the game, they're just going to get good. They're they're yeah. only going to get better because it all starts from that passion for it. If you have passion for it, you're going to want to do it more. When you want to do it more, you're going to get better because you're putting in more reps. When you're putting in more reps, you're going to create good habits. And when you create good habits, that's where kind of like the excellent happens. But it all starts with the love. 
if you don't yeah. want to be there, then it's you, you can't skip all those other steps to excellence, you know? And huh. so I, I just think that's really cool that you guys have created that kind of environment there. And yeah, having been there, been on the ice with you, knowing a lot of the kids that kind of went there and seeing where they are now. I mean, you got to be pretty proud. I mean, some of those first that first kind of age group is now getting into college or close to getting into college and, um, you know, doing some really cool things and sitting back here now, you know, I, I, what was it like probably seven, eight years ago that you kind of started to get involved in youth hockey in that area, something like that. I might be off by a year or yep, two, no, but eight, seven, seven years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So like, how does that feel now? Like just thinking back on it now that like, you know, just starting this whole thing to get kids to love the game. And now you're seeing kids who love the game actually accomplish some pretty cool things in the game. No, it's, it's incredible. I mean, you were there with me from the beginning, you know? So it's, at times I'm trying to, back when we only had a couple kids that were, you know, in the USHL or at the national program, it was easy to kind of talk about those kids and keep track of them. And now, I mean, there's a lot of kids doing a lot of good things. So sometimes I'm like, geez, I got to figure out a way to, to keep track of these guys and make sure that I'm staying in touch with them. If they're scoring goals in the USHL or, some of these kids are doing some great things and um it's incredible i mean i and it's just a start you know i mean to be able to say you're going to be able to go watch a bean pot and see casey severo play against Eamon powell in the bean pot harvard versus bc that's incredible you know and um it's it's you're proud of it but it's also fun i mean it's what it's what we know it's what we love it's this is what i've been doing since i was three years old and there's no better place to be in the ranks you know and watching these kids that that have put in the work and fallen in love with the game now getting rewarded for it. Yeah. You know? Absolutely, dude. Absolutely. Well, how, how cool is that? Like seeing kids that like you've worked with for years, like, like how much pride is there for you in that? Yeah. I mean, you, you honestly, you get emotional at times. Cause you're like, you remember when the kid first showed up? I mean, they talk about Casey Severo. I mean, the, that kid was a 14 year old kid showed up. And his little, his little brother, Chuck, who we'll talk about him, I'm sure at some point, he's a little 2011 young kid, super skilled. Casey was a 14-year-old kid, just kind of a meat and potatoes playing for up in Buffalo and didn't really know what he wanted to do. And um, he was the first kid I really started working with. Um, and now he's, you know, he went on to, to go to prep school down in Boston and took his time, didn't rush out of there, spent three years at Nobles. You know, the Nobles school says he's one of the best hockey players they've ever had go through there not hockey wise but just as a person like that's you know and now he goes to the USHL has a great experience in the USHL and now he's at Harvard you know and seeing pictures of him wearing the Harvard uniform opening night at Harvard I mean just a, it's incredible you know it's it's, you get emotional about it. Uh, Harvard. <laughs> oh, <my laughs> yeah, sorry, Harvard. I think like <laughs> this kid's going to I feel like, man, when I, when I see kids like succeeding at any level, like if, if it's, you help a, a house leaguer go to B or you help a triple A kid get to juniors or juniors to college, college, pro, whatever it is. Like I, I take, I take so much pride in that. Just being able to be there for, for any way to help them. And, I think that so many more guys who get out of the game, they need to get back into it because that feeling, it's like a special feeling, especially like if you feel like you were able to help them like right on the spot. Like, you know, we obviously have quite a bit of knowledge from playing at the highest levels. And when you can tell a younger guy something that you see him immediately do or like a light bulb switch and they do something and you're like, oh, now I get it. Now you 
you see him go and excel and then you get to watch him play on these big stages, man, it's like, it's like a indescribable feeling for me. And it's, it's right up there with like scoring a goal. Honestly, I, I, yeah. what would you say to guys who, who are maybe like, I don't know if I want to coach, like, do you have any advice for them? Like, y- you know what I mean? That's, I mean, just like we talked about, just like you said, is once you get out of the game, you miss the, you miss the game and you miss the, the being around the guys. You miss the, the ups and downs and, you know, and having a tough loss coming back the next night, scoring a goal, you know, being a part of a team. I mean, that's coaching. You're right back in the mix. I mean, I, I was probably more nervous and this is ridiculous coaching youth hockey or 15 you. Um, but I'm more, more nervous behind the bench and I'm coaching the first year than I was playing, you know? So I always wish I'd coached that before I played. I, I, I saw a lot of kids doing things that I was like, that. That's, I did that. I should have done that, you know, so I wish I would have coached first, but um, no, I, I think it's just getting back in the game. It's, it's something that we all grew up with our whole lives and it means everything to us. And, you know, when you don't have that, it's tough, you know? So, um, you know, even a kid like this, Tyler Cooligan, who he's, he just graduated from Williams, you know, and he's down, he's working in, in New York as a trader, but he's like, I could, I could chase the division one, but I'm going to go play division three. And now because hockey, hockey got him to prep school, Hockey got him to Williams, and now he's doing great down in New York City after hockey, right? So there's, it's not only just the, that, but what hockey did create for these kids. Um, and they had some of them have the right mindset about it, and then they go create lives for themselves based off that. So, yeah, it's incredible. It's, it's what you want to be a part of, you know? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, I want to get back to your journey a little bit because um, it, it is – unique and not unique in, in many different ways. And, you know, we talked about passion and how important that is to, you know, eventually get to the higher levels of hockey. But uh, another thing that you need to get to the higher levels of hockey is, is hitting a little bit of uh, adversity, <laughs> you know, and, and I know we've had different conversations about maybe your first couple of years. So you went to Boston college, um, obviously a, a hockey, ho- hockey powerhouse. You guys had some great years when you were there, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't roses from the start. And then by the end of the time that you were there, your senior year, you're a Hobie Baker hat-trick finalist scoring, what was it? 63 points in that year, yeah. um, you know, getting to the national championship game and stuff like that. So, you know, I wonder for you, um, I would love you to talk a little bit about just kind of like how maybe some of the tough times helped you as you kind of grew into the player and the person that you were by the end of the time that you got to BC and then kind of what, what clicked or like, what was it for you that the flip switched and all of a sudden it's like, boom, like, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. Um, I mean, I, I, I was fighting just like you, I, I was fighting the, the battle my whole life. I mean, always undersized, always not good enough, always, you know, having to take on the the bully of the team to, to prove that I, I was, I belonged. And just, I actually sat down at 20 to ask that question. I met my father two weeks ago and I'm like, how did I make it? What did I do? He's like, he's like, everywhere you went, you, you just figured it out. You know what I mean? And you had to, when I was to Toronto, I played the GTHL when I was 13 and I get in the locker room and these Canadian kids were like, oh, just get out of here, you American. What are you doing here? And, you know, I had to, I had to go out there and prove to us big, strong Canadian kids that I, I could play. And it was either I was going to go home and, and just pack my stuff or I was going to go there. And I just, I went right after the biggest, toughest kid and took his head off <laughs> for a couple minutes of practice. Like it was a psycho American kid up here. So I just kind of had to like fight and scratch every single step of the way, you know, and all the way from Taft, um, you know, I had to battle in the lineup there, go out to Des Moines as a young 16 year old, 17 year old. Um, I had to, 
you know, basically fight in training camp. I, I fought the biggest, toughest defenseman, which I had no business fighting, Andy Jurek. The guy was like 300 pounds. <laughs> um, you know, I, I fought in the USHL All-Star game. I, I have a fighting penalty in the USHL All-Star game. I, I don't know. I look back, I'm like cringing at myself. Like, Come on, you, you fought in the, in the All-Star game? <laughs> yeah. yeah I just Who did you always, fight in the All-Star game? Do you remember? That's a good question. I don't know. I should know that. I'll, I'll look it up. But I uh, That's unreal. Yeah, it was in two falls. And uh, I just, he slashed me and I just kind of went nuts a little bit and, and fought him. And he's like, are you serious? You're fighting me? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> um, so I just, I felt like every step of the way, I just kind of, had to prove myself. I was never, you know, my, my father coached me when I was young, but then he stopped coaching me at, at like squirt minor. So I was, I was young when I moved on and, and I never had him as a head coach. He was always there to help me out along the way and work off the ice and, and in the backyard, but he never was my head coach. So I always had to, to prove something and I couldn't, that didn't have it handed to me, you know, and, and that every single year I had to kind of fight for it again. And so by the time I got to BC, um, you know, I ended up going to Des Moines. I had a good year in Des Moines, uh, went as a true freshman to BC. Um, and I, I had a pretty good freshman year, you know, but at BC, you're playing, you're playing with some unbelievable players. I mean, I was playing with guys like Ben Eves and, and Patrick Eves and Ryan Shannon. I mean, it goes right down the line, just all Americans. And um, I did, I had to figure out a way to stay in the lineup. And I, you know, I ended up playing every game at BC um, all four years. And my junior year, I think I had like 14, 15 points. But I was a penalty killer. I blocked shots. I third line. I just figured out a way to make an impact in every game, whether it was a third line role or, or if I got if some you know someone on the team got suspended, and I got to play up a couple couple of lines. Um, you know, so I was opportunistic. And then my senior year, um, after playing behind all those good players, I mean, I felt like by the time I graduated BC, my senior year, I was kind of a product of all these guys that I looked up to. You know. Ryan Shannon and Patrick Eves and all these guys. I kind of how Patrick Eves shot the puck. I I stole that from him. how Ryan Shannon taped his socks. Like I stole that from. Him. By the end of the time I was done, I was just kind of a, a mesh product of all these guys I used to look up to. And um, you know, and then obviously I had a good senior year. I don't know what clicked. Honestly, I just was like I had 15 points, something like that, my junior year. And I just went to a senior year saying, "Hey, listen, this could be your last year." I remember sitting at Michigan. Um, you know, I got a little emotional when I was out there a couple couple years ago, and there's a little bench outside the main door at Yost, and I sat there, and I was like, hey, this is my last year ever playing hockey, probably. Um, you know, what, I'm going to probably get a job afterwards. This is our this is the first game of the season. I'm like, just talking to myself, I'm like, just have some fun. Just go out there and have fun, and just, you know, you made it. This is what you want to always do is go to BC and play here, and now you're, you're starting your, your senior season at Michigan. Um, I was on the fourth line to start my senior year, and – I was like, screw it. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to prove, prove to these coaches that I'm better than that and, and have a good last year. And then all of a sudden, I get a lucky goal from the evolved scoring zone on Billy Sauer. I shot one from the goal line, <laughs> right, down, right down in the corner at Yale. Shot from the goal line, went off his back with me. And, uh, and I had an assist. And then Bowling Green the next night, I had, I had like two or three points. And all of a sudden, I was flying back to BC, leading the country in scoring. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I guess that's a good weekend. So from there, I just never looked back. And ended up leading the country in scoring with Ryan Petone. Um, and then the next thing you know, all of a sudden I'm signing an NHL contract and I, it was a whirlwind um, and I had no intentions of playing pro hockey. Um, and then, you know, I ended up playing an eight year pro career, but, you know, talking about the pros, I, I had to battle. I, my, you know, I was senior year, I was led the country in scoring 34 goals, hat trick against North Dakota on Thursday night. You know, we not, we ended TJ Oshie and, 
and Garrett Stafford and uh, who else? Uh, we ended all these guys' college, Jonathan Taves, like the end of his college career, you know, and then had a hat against those guys. Next night, Hoy Baker ceremony. I don't win it. Matt Carl wins it. Fully deserved it. Unbelievable player. Um, the next night, we lose to Wisconsin in the National Championship game, you know, so going from Thursday night, top of the world. Friday night, don't win the Hobie. Saturday night, lose the National Championship. Fast forward five months later, after three days of the Boston Bruins training camp, I get sent to Long Beach in the East Coast League. You know, so talk about highs of high down to the low, right? I was all of a sudden in the East Coast League. I was like, what the heck just happened? Um, and I had to figure it out. I had to, I had to get in shape. I had to learn how to be a pro. I mean, I, you know, I had never been drafted, so I never went to a rookie camp. I never knew what that entailed and how to be a pro. Um, and I, I said, all right, I'm going to do it. And I ended up getting in shape in California, which I got in really good shape because I was on the beach every day and uh, I got really tan. So I got back, <laughs> I get, I get called <laughs> up in January. Yeah. I get back, you know, if I had gone to wheeling or something, I don't know if I would have gotten in shape, but um, I went to Long Beach, California. I was like, I can't be the chubby guy out here. So I get in really good shape and, you know, just started to figure it out and get called back up to Providence. Um, had a decent 20 games up there. And then, uh, you know, my second year was back. So obviously I had a breakout year there, but again, had to figure out how to score goals five and five and, and no power play time and, and manufacture points and be effective without getting those big minutes. So I think all those years, you know, leading up to, having to kind of fight for it every, everywhere I went, um, not having anything given to me was, was what ended up giving me an eight year pro career. So it's kind of a long winded answer for you, I guess. Dude, that's such like, we can go a million different ways with this Vex. Um, so many different ways. I know because there's so many great nuggets in there that like every, like that, whatever it was, maybe five minutes, we got to like clip that out and and send it to every youth hockey player ever that's ever played or has a dream of playing it because there's so many good things in there. But the the one that I want to take out just to start is just the prove it mentality. Hey guys, I want to introduce you to a new company called NordVPN that allows you to watch things from all over the world and also has an unbelievable security feature for you too. If you're bored of US Netflix, why not take it for a spin in the UK? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. There's no need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN can also bring it right to you. With over 5,000 plus server options, no show is out of your reach. Using our show's link at nordvpn.com slash think tank, you can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan plus one free month. NordVPN also has unbelievable security features that can help protect you, and they've doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there is literally no risk to you with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like, great. If not, they'll issue you a refund and you can pretend the entire situation never happened. Check out my link again at nordvpn.com slash think tank to get your subscription started today. Again, that's nordvpn.com slash think tank. And um, just that, that prove it mentality that like we can't keep always clearing the path for these kids. So it's just easy and they don't have to like, you have to make it hard for them. So they, they have to prove it. Like Vex, what do you think? We talk about it a lot, but the, like the way Kali told his story, I think was so cool. Well, I think, I think it's really important to hear this because it doesn't matter. Like this guy, 
up for the Hobie Baker, playing in the national championship, having NHL teams want to sign him. And he's going to the next level and gets sent down two levels. He, those of you don't know, he went from the NHL, skipped the AHL, and went to the East Coast League. So he went from being at the highest high in the best college hockey league in the world. And Hobie Baker leading the, the 34 goals. That's insane. I played 34 games one year, I think. It's un- that's unbelievable. And he's in the coast. And did he pout? Did he sit there and cry? Did he give up? No. He's like, all right, I got to find a freaking way. It's like we always talk about when a door closes, you find a window and you kick it in if you want this. And I think it's really important. I know we have a lot of players listening to the show now. Doesn't matter how good you are right now. All right. Unless you're in the NHL, it doesn't matter how good you are right now. Cause unless your goals are to stop playing at the level you're at, do not get comfortable. Get out there and block shots. I don't care if you're on the first line, you think you're sweet, you're on the power play. Guess what? This guy, I guarantee you, scored more goals than you will in college hockey. And he had to learn how to do it to get back up to the AHL, to have that shot. It doesn't matter how good you are. At a certain level, you're going to need to be able to have a well-rounded game. So whether you're the best player on the team or the worst player on the team, every single day prove it. Because what's that saying? Success it isn't owned, it's rented, and and rent is due every day or you know, something like that. That couldn't be more true. That's such a Jeff Levecchio line right there. I well, can't I believe mean, that's you a, butchered it a little bit. Completely butchered it, but you know what I mean. <laughs> well, I think up. the other thing too is you know, like I never had my and, and the other guys say the same thing. I like Brian Gianta and, and Cal. I mean, we talk about all the time here. I mean, our parents didn't they weren't the ones pushing like they weren't for one pushing us first of all and then when when we met adversity and i was playing third line or i wasn't getting the right minutes you think my dad was calling the coaches or calling that didn't happen you know he he, i had to figure it out on my on my own right and if i it was either i was going to figure it out and i was going to do it and i was going to move to the next level or i wasn't and i was going to be done and that's it but i never got it i had never had it done for me by my parents really anybody else and that's not just me but that's a lot of the guys that i've talked to that you know that's just so important you, these young kids need to need to understand that that they have to do it themselves well, you know, let, let's break that down that let's yeah. let's break yeah. that down because a lot of people say things and then what i do a lot of like advising calls and coaching calls for like players that are stuck in a slump and like pro college and junior mainly and and the first thing we do is like make like an actionable items list like what can we all right where's the problem what can we do right now what can you do right now this very second and what can you do tomorrow what's that first step so for the kids listening like like when you when they have they have this moment where it's like oh shit i gotta figure it out or else i'm done like what did you do what did you do to, to change what did you do to to flip it around what was your first step was I don't looking know. in the mirror. I, I mean, and being yeah, like, I mean, I'm yeah. not doing the right things or, or what was yeah, it? Figuring out why, you know, I mean, every different level, I could probably have a different first step because I had to kind of figure it out, but you know, where I fit on the team or I just, I just, I don't know. I guess I would just show up and say, I, I want this coach ha- has to want to play me. I don't want to give any reason that I'm not in the top six or the top line. Or, you know what, if, when I turn pro, you have guys that are just blatantly more skilled than me. They're six foot two. They're skilled. There's going to be NHLers like David Crutchy, right? Playing them. I'm like, I am never going to be more skilled as that guy, but I want to play with them, right? So I, I got to figure out ways to, to get on a line with them. And I got to go out there and block shots and, and fight whatever I had to do to just get on the ice and, and get gain the coach's trust. Because at the end of the day, no coach wants to just 
is just going to sit a kid or not play a kid that's going to change the game for him. So I just had to, I just always wanted to figure out a way to create value to the team and create value to the coaches that, you know, gain trust of the coaches. That was my number one thing all the time, gain trust and respect of those guys, whatever level it was. And it and wasn't it always easy. It was hard. <laughs> oh, yeah. so hard. And it kind of comes back to the prove it mentality. Like I tell kids this a lot. It's like, you know, the kids who are saying like, yeah, you know, I, I feel like I deserve more ice time or I'm not getting played enough. And it, it goes back to like coaches just want to win you know, yeah. and, and they're not going to play somebody or not play somebody for different reasons other than that. And I always tell them, prove him or her wrong. Like yeah. if they're not playing you prove them wrong, you know, and how do you do that? Just like what you're talking about. Sometimes it's doing the little things sometimes it's doing the dirty things. Sometimes it's something as simple as just working. Like when you work harder and you should just show that you want it, coaches will be like, okay, I'm going to give this kid the benefit of the doubt now. Cause I know they're starting to put in the work and stuff. Plenty of coaches do that. And so it, it's, it goes back to just to prove, prove them wrong. I've, I've even told that to kids who have come to me and say, Hey, like, I feel like I deserve ice time or power play or whatever. Okay. Like prove me wrong in practice. Exactly. Like right now you're not there, but prove me wrong. Show me that you deserve it. And a lot, honestly, like a lot of times the kids do. And, and because they put in the work now, it usually like they do it. And it's um just that proven mentality. I think is yeah, awesome. And the other thing too, is there's, I mean, obviously I wasn't perfect all the way through. There were times that, that I, I sulked and I, I went home and I was like, be, even at BC, I was like, what am I doing? What am, what am I, there was dark times there. It was, it's not, it's not all this. It's, it's, you know, I think Benny's the first in my junior year. I, I had had a really good end of my junior year and scored a couple goals in the NCAA tournament. And I was feeling good coming in and boom, fourth line. I'm like, what? So I'm like sulking a little bit in practice. And, and Benny's like, Hey, what are you doing? He was a volunteer assistant that year. He's like, you, your body language is horrible. That's not going to help you. What do you like? And I just snapped out of it and, you know, but it's not, it's not easy. It is not easy. It's, there's a lot of ups and downs and especially for these younger kids. And they have a lot of people in their ears telling them you should get this, you should get that. And it's just, they need to block it out and they need to just prove it every day. And especially in practice, you know, if you're on the fourth line, you have the wrong color of Jersey, instead of going out there sulking, go out there and just go after that first liner. The Pissed. position. Yeah. yeah. And you get a small game. Go, go dominate, go right after that guy, go after the biggest guy. Like that's what you need to do, you know? So if, if you don't have that, you don't have that edge. You're never going to, you can't, there's too many good players out there. <laughs> so. I think, I think you said something that I didn't really start thinking about until I owned my own business. And, uh, and now it's something that I think about in every single business transaction, every single time I give a speech every single time I have people in my gym, every single time I do anything for my companies, I think, how can I add more value? How can I add value to this person I'm talking to right now or this business or this team or this organization? Oh, you've worked with so-and-so in the past. Well, what did they do? All right, I'm going to go above and beyond and I'm going to add more value than they did. Right. And I think that that's something I learned. I've learned in business that I wish I would have had that mindset more as a player especially in those times where you think you should be on the second or third line and you get put on the fourth line and you get it every now and then, like you said, you're going to like go home and be 
down and you're going to be down on yourself. But if you think, how can I add value from, from where I'm at right now? You're on the fourth line. You get three shifts. If you're playing juniors or pro, like maybe it's a fight, you know, and I don't like, you know, I'm not, I don't tell kids to fight, but like, maybe that's where you can add value to the team. And now you get to play the next game. You don't get healthy scratched or blocking a shot and just eating every single puck. If there's guys on the team who don't want to block shots, but you're willing to get your body in front of that puck, you're going to start penalty killing more. You're going to get more ice time. Now you've earned a little bit more rope. Now you get to play more and things start going from there. So I think that what, what Kali's saying is players or coaches that are talking to their players who are down or whatever, get them to think, get your head around. How can I add value to this team? Because as soon as you keep adding value, you get more rope you get to the next line, you get a shot at the power play, you don't get healthy scratched anymore, whatever it is, find a way for you to add value to your team and you will play more. And the other thing too is go out there and, and, and practice and be the biggest prick ever. Go right at this, whatever you want to do. I mean, I'm not saying chief shot guys, but Brian Gianta was one of the dirtiest players I've ever watched. And he just went out there every <laughs> single night. And just, like, guys would try to pick on him and he would go right after him, right? He would just take their heads off. They would reverse hit him, whatever it would take. He was an absolute bulldog, right? But the other thing is you got to be a good teammate too. So yeah, you do that in, on the time when you're in the ice, but then when the, when the practice is over, those guys might hate you. Gain their trust, be a good teammate, be a good friend, do other things off the ice, hang out with them. Don't, you're not trying to connive and, and trying to get their spots by doing other things away from the rink. You know what I'm saying? Like you go to the rink and you prove it every single day there, but then, Hey, I know I just took your hat off at practice and you hate me because I made your life miserable, but Hey, let's go, let's go to lunch. Let's go get a beer. Like when you're pro, whatever, like that's, that's the other aspect of it. So, you know, you got to prove it, but you got to also be a good teammate and do it the right way. You know, Gianta. Great, great interview. He's been on the podcast. Any of you guys who are newer to the show, if you haven't heard the uh, Brian Gianta podcast, I have no idea what number it is, but I'm sure you could Google it. <laughs> you can Google it. <laughs> he, was a he was a savage. Oh, man. I, I good had man. growing up. Yeah. Love good, that. Good man. Well, I want to go back to something that you said because it it really helped you. Like we We talk a lot about, you know, how – the things that you learn within the game will help you once you're done with the game. And we all know that we have a shelf life when it comes to hockey. Some people it's 18, some people it's 28, some people it's 30, but most people it's, you know, there's a lot of life after hockey. And you, you mentioned something about figuring it out and you got to figure it out on your own and you can't be, have always have your hand held and have mom and dad do things for you and fight your battles and, and things like that. And, you know, once you were done with hockey, you had to figure it out and you started to develop this passion for youth hockey and wanting to make hockey players better and building up, you know, hockey in, in the Rochester area where you're from and, and wanting to give back to it. And number one, you started evolve hockey with your family and that has grown into something great, but it was nothing. I don't want to say it was nothing, but it was, it was like, nothing, yeah. you had to figure it out and you had to find a way. And now you start Bishop Carney from basically nothing and you know that after year two you have a team that won a national championship and so uh, there's so much value to like not having all the answers right away and there's so much value when you're younger to not having somebody just clear the path for you and show you the way but having to figure it out that's such a 
uh, skill to have outside of hockey and Vex, you know that from starting your company, I do from starting mine, colleagues with, with all the stuff that you're doing. So like, you know, how has that, you know, mantra of having to figure it out when you were a player of how to get what you want helped you in life after hockey in building evolve and now what you're doing in building of, of Bishop Carney. Yeah. I mean, it's the exact same mindset I've had like you're talking about since I was a kid. I mean, I, I got done playing when I was, when I was 30 and I was scared, right? I didn't want to be a 38, 39 year old guy uh, trying to transition out of the game and trying to figure out what's next. And again, I was in college. I didn't even know I was going to play pro. All of a sudden, eight years later, I'm, I'm turning 30 years old. I'm like, I, I had no plan to play pro hockey. I, was, I had a BC education. I, I had built a really good network of friends. I was hoping to maybe go and get a real job, you know, real world job. Um, <clears throat> sorry, you guys hear me right here? Yeah, you're good. Um, so, no, hold on. We have the paddle players coming in here. Um, <laughs> great team, by the way. Um, so I turned 30 and I, I had to figure it out. Right. And like you're saying, I, I took a job out in California as a, as a, a family office and I worked for about a year and a half out there. I, I didn't like it. I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. First of all, I if you ask me what I did that year and a half, I don't know what I did. <laughs> um, so I ended up moving home and you know, Greg called me, Gary called me and my sister and they're like, Hey, you know, our dad's potentially going to sell the rink. Um, he's exhausted. He's tired. He's been doing it by himself for a long time. You guys want to get back and, and do something. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, let's, let's get back and, and start something. And that's, I just walked in and told my boss, Hey, I'm, I'm heading back, heading back home. And he's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to go back and, and be with my family. I'm going to start something. And we got back I figured it out and we built it small and we started with Evolve and um, we helped restructure the facility and, and kind of get back to our roots of what made us successful. Um, and then the thing just snowballed. We sat down and at a, at a bar and had a napkin and did, a, did the Evolve logo because we didn't want to call it the Collins Brothers Academy. Uh, we started with the littlest learn to skate with my sister and we the oldest kid was Casey Severo. And like you said, Tope, we just I just worked every day, man. I, we didn't make any money in the beginning. Um, wasn't about that. Um, it was just I just knew something good was going to come out of it. And eight years later, it, you can look back and say, "Wow, he had a plan and he built Evolve, and then the Roco Midget program, and all these things happened." And now BK came. It's like that wasn't a plan. Like <laughs> this is just every year we like opportunistic, and something came like, "Oh, that's a good idea. Let's let's do that." So um, we just been trying to we we're just trying to do the right things for the area, and we just did what we knew and what we loved. And I did, I'm doing it with family which is the most important thing to me. Um, and I couldn't be happier with what I'm currently doing. But like you said, it's right, right from the beginning when I had to prove it every single level. Um, you know, in these last eight years, it has not been easy. You know, we've been, we've, there's been ups and downs and you're, you know, the, the politics of youth hockey is pretty insane. What? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you battling against a lot of money and, and there's different things. And again, you have to go and, and do things the right way and gain trust from people that are going to help you, but you got to pick the right people to help you. And um, yeah, things have gone, gone well and worked out, but it definitely wasn't uh, a smooth ride these last eight years, just like it wasn't when I was playing, when I was playing. Bex, I mean, it's kind of similar to you, right? Like when you started ripped hockey and stuff, it, it was just got to figure it out, you know, and, and you work hard and you surround yourself with good people. 
what you love. I mean, if you are doing those three things every day and hard, you surround yourself with good people and you do what you love, that's a good day. It's typically a pretty good day. And as, as hard as some of those days can be when you can go back home or lay your head on the pillow and you have those three things, you can be pretty content with what you're doing, you know? And Vex, I know you, you, uh, you can sympathize with that too. Well, just from like, a, you know, we talk about all the time, like Kali didn't, didn't make it to NHL. You, you didn't make it to NHL. I didn't make it to We're all working in hockey. We all make a living in hockey. We all get to do hockey still every single day. So it's like, you know, we didn't, we didn't fail. It's just, it's just, we're doing it in a different way. And I think that's so important. And there's so many people that listen to our podcast that I know uh, want to make a living somehow in hockey. And, and for the people I was, I was just talking to a kid at the gym, like right before I got here. Cause yes, I work out. If you haven't seen my Instagram, my eight pack of abs. Um, and he wants to build a photography business. And I was like, I was telling the story how I started my company. I'm like, listen, dude, like I was a pro hockey player and I started a company while being a professional athlete. And I didn't need to do that at the time for the money. I just, I like doing it. I help kids. And I was like, Oh, by the way, when I started it, I did two hour sessions for $25 for the session. So, and I had to give 33% to the gym, which means I was making like eight sixty six an hour or something, $8 as a current professional athlete, six an hour. When I start, I make quite more now. And, and the grind of the, like the ups and downs, like Kali's saying, like, like, but if you love it, you know, people out there want to find a way to like be in hockey. If you love it, like you, you keep like learning, you keep moving, you keep pivoting, you, you keep getting better. And eventually, you know, you're going to find a way that works and you're helping people. And if you're passionate about it, like, like both these guys said, it's never worked. I don't know. I never worked a day in my life. Uh, you guys have, but I don't know. I haven't. <laughs> I was hanging out with the boys in the dog. That's true. That's true. Well, now, you know, you, you've come and, and uh, you, you've helped start this Bishop Carney behemoth out there in Rochester. And, uh, and I know that a ton of work went into that. Um, but tell us a little bit about how that came. And, and I'd love to have a conversation with you too, because, and you know, we've had different conversations, but like the academy model is something that's a little bit new. Um, people are starting to, there's starting to be more of them. I think there's going to be this period where there's going to be some and more and then less and then more and then less, because as you know, how hard it is to start up something like that. Um, so if you can, like, tell us about how you started up Bishop Carney, kind of what the genesis was of that. And then I'd love to just kind of talk to you about how, you know, that model is, has kind of become a, a thing in, in the U S it's, it's been a thing, I think probably in Canada for a little bit more. Um, and it's starting to trickle down a little bit more into the U S but, um, how did it kind of start? And then where do you see the benefits of, of doing the Academy model like you guys are doing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> the start of it was, was back in 2019 in December, we, we hosted the, the beast versus DTHL tournament. That was actually in October. I remember that event we had, we kind of, I thought Rochester's a good location to, to bridge the gap between a lot of the, the high-end USA hockey New England teams like the River Rats and, and Long Island as well as at the time and all those teams. And let's link it up with the GTHL. You know, and I got the benefit as a kid. I got to play in the GTHL and I also got to play down in New England. So I experienced both those and I was like, well, it's, this is a good chance to, to bridge the New England hockey teams with the, with the Canadians. So we did an event. 
um, at the time. And it, it was a great event. So it went really well. That was with the 04s. Um, and that was October before that was 2019 for COVID. Um, the BK at the program at the time was just girls. So back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, they had the third floor was where all the nuns and priests used to live that would teach school, right? So um, obviously, I'm not sure when they left, but at some point, um, the nuns and priests left Bishop Kearney. The third floor was was vacant. And um, at the time, it was Select Academy with Legacy Global Sports. Um, I'm not sure exactly what year the girls started, but they started a girls program at BK. So they they developed half of the third floor into a you know like a state of the art girls dormitory, and they started a girls program with 20 girls the first year, 40 girls the second year. So by the time October 2019 rolls around, um, the girls program was going really well. BK, you know, they were they're up there with Shattuck every year, um, and the school started having meetings about what to do with the other half of the third floor. Um, they're talking about doing a soccer program, a lacrosse program, um, and then they talked about hockey. So after that event, obviously it's Toke with you there helping me. We were building some pretty good midget hockey in Rochester, doing some good things, bringing some events into town. And I got approached by Rich Spencer, the at the time the chair of the board at BK, and you know he's like, "Hey Chris, here's the idea. Would you be interested in in entertaining it?" And at first I was like, "Oh my God, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. It's a big undertaking." Um, our whole purpose at Roco was to move kids to prep school and to move them to academies like South Canton, Connecticut, and wherever else, Shattuck. Um, and I, I didn't really know much about it. He's like, just come over and check out the school. So I ended up going over, looking at the school, going and seeing the girls' dorms. Once I saw those girls' dorms, I was I immediately grasped the concept and then kind of got the idea for the third floor. And then we were full throttle. Um, started in December working on dorms you know obviously raising money which the dorms are expensive so we, we raised a lot of money there to get those built up there um and starting to try to bring players in um so we had some help there along the way and then obviously bam what is it march COVID hits so we're trying to raise money we're trying to get construction done we're trying to get the, the dorms built i'm doing visits with families coming in to see the school i don't even know really what i'm talking about because i've never run a hockey academy before but i honestly just talked about what we what we built at Roco. So if I talked about Evolve, I talked about Rochester Hockey, the foundations and, and family, and that's what this program is going to be based on is everything that we just spent six years building. Um, so people could say BK is a new program. It's really not. It's, it's founded on Rochester Hockey for the last 40, 50 years and what I grew up doing and, um, you know, and what our success we were having with the coalition program and Evolve. And, uh, that's how we started it. Obviously, COVID was nuts. We, we started with 60 players, uh, U14, U15, U16 teams. Um, I'm talking like construction getting done in August. Players are moving in. I'm just panic mode because kids are, kids are showing up in a week and the construction was delayed. You could only have a certain amount of workers up there working because of COVID, right? So like everything got delayed and it was stressful times. Um, but we just pushed through. We just figured it out like we've been talking about. And, uh, we, we did things the right way and we got some really good families in there that bought into what we were trying to do. And um, we had some pretty good success. The 14 U team lost to the to Shattuck in the national championship the first year, 16s lost to the, to the abs in the national semifinal. So right away we were off to a good start. Um, and then the second year, like you said, the U16 team won the national championship and we moved from U14, U15, U16, and we added a U18 that second year. Um, and now we're just, you know, we're just entering into our third year here uh, with 80 players. You know, they all live up there. You got 80 players on one side, boys, eight, 40 girls on the other side. 
a lot of high level athletes in the school. Um, and I have to give a lot of credit to the school. I mean, what they've done to help us get to where we're at, um, you know, allowing us to play. I think each, each team played around 60 plus games during COVID, which was insane. So in New York, that's insane. It, yeah, the New York State was closed. <laughs> New York State was closed. Couldn't play there. So I was telling the president of school, I was like, well, hey, so this weekend we're going to, to Pittsburgh. He's like, why are you going there? Well, it's the only state that's open. We got to go play. And he's like, okay, I'm with you, Chris, whatever you want to do. So he's Luzo, Rich Spencer. The, the school was incredibly, um, you know, they were just unbelievably flexible with us and building this thing. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, like you said, back in the beginning of the show was you surround yourself with good people. That's the key. And the staff we have there right now, I could vouch and say that those guys are, I'd go to war with those guys. They're guys that, you know, I think Dick Humilia UH called it foxhole guys, guys that, you know, I know I'd do anything for them and they do anything for me. And that's how we built this thing with the right guys at the top. Um, and then, you know, when we talk to families, we try to bring in the right families, the character kids, the ones that can handle being away from home, the kids that want to be hockey players, the kids that, you know, don't have their hands held. Um, we're not perfect. You know, we're still just kind of building this thing out, but yeah, we've had some success. And again, this isn't a new program. It's founded on Rochester hockey, Rochester tradition. And, you know, you were part of this thing getting itself started. So, I mean, you were there right, right in the beginning with me. So you, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. It was interesting. Like, you know, we kind of started working together because yeah, we, we saw this, like, you know, I, I saw it a little bit from, you know, being at Cornell and, and recruiting and stuff and just seeing how toxic youth hockey can be, you know, you saw it from what you were doing at evolve and stuff. And, and I remember just some kids coming up to me even like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> families yeah. were coming like just in in our area just like hey like we don't really know what to do that's there's no good options what do we do and then i remember calling you and be like hey because you had the one team the u15 team that did really well the one year and we had some other kids and it was like hey like what do you think like these kids these kids need a place can i bring them up by you guys and it was like yeah and then all of a sudden you know yeah. just trying to do the right thing and you know, the right way and develop kids and stuff. And it's amazing to see. I mean, you say that I was a part, I was a very tiny minuscule part of, of what you I'll have short. <laughs> No, but I, I think that with the Academy model too, like, you know, it, when you get to the 14, 15, 16 years old, I mean, 14 is young. So the kid, it's not for everyone, right? It's, it's, it's tough. You move away from home. And I, mean, I did it when I moved to Toronto and I was 13, but um, you know, a lot of these players that we have here are, from non-traditional markets or they're from, you know, big hockey markets, but they're, they're driving an hour and a half, two hours of practice every day. So at some point it becomes tough to man to keep your school up and your grades up and, and get the development you need when you're driving two hours a day to practice, you know, and then you're trying to play in your high school team where your high school coach is mad at you because you're missing your, you're missing high school for your tier one game, but it's just, it's a constant struggle. We know that. So what BK has done and what we've built here is, is an all-inclusive academy. You know, the kids practice every day for an hour. They do about a 20, 30-minute skill session. Strength conditioning is right at the rink. So they're over at the rink for three, four hours at a time, all-inclusive, all right? And then they're back to school for study hall, um, you know, and that's after a full day at school. And it's not an online school, right? They live up on the third floor, and then they go down into the day school with 400 other day students from the city of Rochester. So it is a brick and mortar and, and, you know, it's a little different than some of the online models. Um, but these kids are interacting with, with day students from Rochester. And I, I feel really strongly about it because I mean, I, I went to Taft and 
I love the New England prep schools. I, I, we still are sending kids to New England prep schools. You know, the hockey academies aren't for everyone. Um, just like any college, you got to go to where you, you're comfortable and where you want it, where you, where you feel like it's the right fit. Um, Taft changed my life. I, I, for, I'm forever indebted to Taft. Um, I'm amazingly lucky that I got out of there without failing because I wasn't, I wasn't a good student. I went to Toronto when I was thir- when I was 13 in the Canadian, uh, teachers union was on strike. So I didn't go to school for like a year, um, which at 13 years old, I was like, Oh, I'm playing pro. This is great. I'm up in Toronto playing Vaughn Kings, not going to school. Um, clearly that's a pretty important math block. Right. So I missed about a year and a half of math. So then fast forward two years later, send me to Taft, one of the hardest schools in the country. I couldn't even figure out what I was doing down there. And the teachers, the teachers are like, Chris, like you think you're better than math class, you're a hockey player. I'm like, no guys, but I, I, don't know what we're doing. I've so, never learned this before. Yeah, I'm not a learner. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, I thought TAP was really tough. And, you know, for me, I probably would have been a better fit at the hockey academy, which not that BK is not a good school. It's a great school. Um, but the teachers understand what the, what the daily life is for these players. And they work with us on, you know, teacher days are used to be on, um, on Mondays. Now they move them to Fridays. So we match up our schedule and say, Hey, our teams are going to be traveling to Pittsburgh this weekend and missing Friday at school. So that, so that way the, the conferences are on Monday instead of having, you know, so the players aren't missing school and they're working with us. And if you put the work into BK, you're going to have good grades. The teachers are, are here to help the boys. And, um, you know, if they want to play college hockey, you need good, good GPA, got to be a good character kid and you got to be a good hockey player. So I'd like to say that our finished product at Bishop Kearney has all those attributes and it's going to create a lot of opportunities for the kids to come here. And, you know, we've had a, I think the first 10 commits, we've had a, a bunch of them go Ivy League schools. Um, some of your boys, especially with Jack Henry and Charlie Major and, you know, a lot of those kids that um, fired up for them. It's great. So if that's kind of long and short of what we're doing at PK and you know, how the whole thing got started. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And, and But I do think, like, the one thing that you said that I think is really important for people to hear is that it's it's one path. Like it's one path among many paths, you know, and we've had a lot of these different conversations uh, about this because at the end of the day, there's so many different factors that go into choosing whether you want to go to a prep school, whether you want to go to a hockey academy, whether you want to stay and do the local model with, with, you know, the youth team that you've grown up with and stuff. And, and I feel like there's so much pressure for these kids and these parents to make the right decision at 14, 15 years old, which I'm not going to say like, it's not important to make the right decision to put your kid in a place where they're going to succeed, but it's one path. And you guys have obviously done a really good job at that one path, but you also did a really good job, you know, with the brick and mortar evolve hockey, Rochester coalition youth stuff too, you know, and it can be done both ways. You know, and and I just think that's a really important point to make because like people do get so stressed about what's the right path for my kid. And they have to understand that there are different ways to to go about it. You know, there's um, does your kid love hockey and want to be on the ice two times a day or once, you know, more than that or not? Does your kid really enjoy academics, you know, where maybe it's like a New England prep school or not? Maybe, you know, your kid thrives being closer to home. So you want to put them in the community-based model. I think it's just like, there's different fits for different people and different fits for different families. And, um, you know, I just think that's a really important conversation to have because obviously 
your path is is awesome and with what you're doing moving kids on and everything like that but it's not the only path too right right and i think the other thing to, to note is that hey you see you come to bk at 14 and then you play at bk 14 15 hey maybe you're all right i'm ready to go now i want to go play at prep school we i never want to be a program here at bk where a, a kid comes and then he makes a different decision go somewhere else or i'm like i think it's too many programs out there you know oh you're leaving or oh, you're done black ball yeah like i i hate that I hate that. If, you, if you've come here, BK, and you want to make a decision to go somewhere else, we will always support you. We're one step on your in your process. We hope you had a, a good experience here. And then maybe a kid who was playing 14, 15 somewhere else, now he's ready to join the academy. He wasn't ready to leave home at a younger age. So I'm with you. I, I just want to help, honestly, as many kids as possible. And it, like you said, there's not one path. And it's not just BK. I mean, there's so many different ways. I went to TAF for one year. And then I went, I, again, I tried to I repeated my sophomore year and then I wanted to accelerate a tap. And they're like, Chris, you can't even pass like freshman math. You're not accelerating, <laughs> not accelerating a pass. Okay. So, like, okay. so I wanted to go into the true freshman to BC and I ended up going to Des Moines. The hardest call I ever had to make was to Mike Merritt tap. Then, hey, I, they gave me an unbelievable package there. And I, I was so grateful. And my grandfather passed away that year in the spring. And if he knows, if he knew that I left tap, he would have killed me. Um, but I went to Des Moines and I took a chance, you know, and, I, and it worked out. Um, but yeah, like, there's no right or wrong answer on what path. And you just got to take it year by year and just get some good people in your corner that you trust. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully along the way, once you've gone, you've gone, you know, each, each place you've gone, these people are going to continue to support you, you know, which is the most important thing. The more people that you have in your corner supporting you, um, the better. So, so if a kid left, where you're coaching for a year and then wanted to come back the next year and was good enough to make the team. Would you take him? We a hundred percent. We did that. This kid, Chris McGovern played for us uh, as a U 16 player, his first year, which was our first season in 2020. Um, he was 16 and he said, you know what? I, I miss home. I want to go back to New Jersey. I want to play high school hockey in front of my family, in front of my friends. And we were like, God, we love you. We'd love to keep you. But hey, you know what? You got to do what makes you happy. And he went back and played uh, U18 Rockets um, and played for his high school team. He had an unbelievable year, had a ton of fun, played in front of his family. And he called us in the, in the, in the spring. And he's like, guys, I, I want to come back. And we're like, God, we'll see you. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Come on back, buddy. You know, so that's already happened. And that's one thing I always want to have here at BK is that, you know, you, you come in. If it's, if it's not the right fit for you or you just want to go do something else, we're always going to support those decisions. We're always going to support you no matter what, um, you know, and that's, that's, that's really, really important to me. And that was the same way when we started Roco and started Evolve and all that stuff. You know, there's, there's too many groups out there that, oh, if you're training here and you go train there, well, don't come back here. If you're, it's not, that's the worst because the worst, it's just the worst. Like, just listen, it's not, it's not. It's, it's it's hockey it's sports so we're not this is not reinventing the wheel here just be a good person you know and, and it's hard for these kids to figure out what path is right and the parents aren't experts at it you know so um yeah i don't know i guess we we don't ever want to be a program here that that blackballed the player for leaving that's not what we're doing this thing for coaches and parents and heads of the teams and organizations i hope you guys just heard that because this is something in St. Louis. There's only two AAA teams. Sounds they like probably, uh, they, they sounds probably, like your gears have been grinded. Dude, they, I mean, they, they probably <laughs> both do it. I mean, you know, like uh, youth hockey is it, it, it's not 
it's not the end of the world. Like, yes, we want all these kids to move on. We want them all to be successful, but there's so many more things that we can be using it as a vehicle for because most of them aren't going to be pros. Right. And so to act like this tit for tat and like spiteful and like, Oh, you, if you leave this team, don't, you're not coming back and Oh, you're going to go to that team. Well, you can't train at that gym anymore. And it's like, you losers grow up. This is kids hockey. Let's do whatever's best for the kid. And if they want to leave and if they want to come back and they're a good person, like, facilitate those things like stop stop making it about you grown-ups it is about the kids and their development and that stuff drives me nuts so i mean i was guessing that was what you were going to say i was 99.9 percent sure but thank god and and you know that the i mean the the, you surround yourself with good people and whether they're you know 15 other directors of programs that that i talk to all the time we're all in the same boat and if a player is looking to leave and go somewhere else we're like we already know that guys so because we're all, we're all good people here and we're all talking and talking a small world. And it's just, you know, there's just no time for that. And I, I have no time for that. So um, that's, that's, yeah, that's really, really important to me for sure. Love it. I love it, man. I love it. Well, you're doing such amazing stuff before we let you go. You know, you, you are doing such a good job in the youth hockey world right now. And a lot of people that listen to this podcast are involved in youth hockey, whether they're coaches, parents or, or players, um, one piece of advice to any kid out there that has a dream of playing at a Boston college or, you know, playing at a, a high level school like you did, um, and, and ultimately reaching their hockey dream, what would it be? Hmm. Good question. Um, think about it every day, visualize it. Just imagine that's where you are. Like if you want to play at BC, go out in your driveway and, pretend like you're scoring the goal at Connie form against BU, like just legitimately visualize it, imagine it. And it can happen because that's how it happened for me. I legitimately would just think about it every single day. I saw Brian Gianta play there. He wore number 12 and I, I saw him when his freshman year is opening game. Funny story. Quick. It was at supposed to be at, it was a Friday, Saturday, BUBC game. My father's like, Hey, Chris and Greg, do you want to go? I'm like, yeah, we're like, let's go. So we jump in the car, drive to Boston. We get to county form at like 6.40 p.m., <laughs> empty parking lot. We're like, what the hell? The game was at BU. Oh, no. <laughs> the Saturday night game at BC. So we go flying down Com Ave. My dad, I don't even know what he had to do to get those tickets. Probably spent all the money he had. And he gets us in the door. And I'm sitting there in the, on the, the, the front of the glass. And Brian Gianta skates out wearing his yellow helmet wearing number 12 and looks at us and, and he probably doesn't remember this at all, but I, that moment I'm like, I want to play for Boston college and I wear number 12. And honestly, when I went home, that's all I thought about. That's all I thought about, whether I was in the garage shooting pucks, playing at rollerblading through the neighborhood of tennis ball, playing backyard hockey. That's all I thought about all the time. And I ended up three or four years later wearing number 12 for Boston college, asking Brian if I could, if I could wear his number. So that's my advice. Yeah, so that's sweet. Yeah. So cool. I'm gonna go do 20 push ups. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been awesome. I, I, I really enjoyed coming on, and you know, again, thanks for having me. I, I told it took a while for you to get me on here, but I'd love to come back anytime. Yeah, geez, I don't <laughs> know. I kept why. being like, dude, let's get Kali on, and he's like, just wait, just wait, man, wait till like episode like 250. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to, I had to make you grind it out to get here, you know, you had to prove 100%. it. Yeah. 
Prima I, was ready, I, was I had to keep building. I wasn't ready to come on yet. So I, <laughs> thanks for thanks for getting me on. No, I, I honestly, guys, you guys are doing a great job. I, I love it. I love everything you're doing, and thanks for having me on. Awesome, dude. Thanks for coming on, and uh, yeah, we'll be in touch for sure. 100%. See you guys. See ya.